From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome, everybody. So happy to be with you today. This summer, I had such a treat that I wanted to share with you about. I um, got to take a live in-person class taught by my husband, Christopher West. It was Theology of the Body Level 2. Which you had never taken. I've been teaching since 08. Yeah. You've taken TLB 1 twice, I think. Three times. Three times. Um, a lady, <laughs> now love you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, so many students come through the courses that you teach, and I'm sure they assume I've taken them all, but yeah. actually it is not so easy for me to get there. Um, it hasn't been with ages of children and just our own family needs. Um, I did first take Theology of the Body Level 1 five years ago. Right. In Miami. Uh, no, the first time was here. Oh, right. It was That's in right. Pennsylvania. That's and then right. the other two times were away. So I took it in Miami and I took That's part right. of it in Indiana. Yep. Uh, so those were all very beautiful experiences. And I, I treasure every time I get to be in your class. It was nice to be there for Theology of the Body, too. It did have a different feel, that that feeling of those who've, who've come back for right. more, that there's a special kind of just openness already in the class yeah. that um, is kind of bonding. Of course, our classes are smaller because of COVID restrictions and there, you know, some changes have been made and yet that, that common sense of, of uh, depth and openness was there with the students. Um, that was a real blessing for me. And I always love just seeing your light shine, seeing Thanks, your gifts be shared and, and receiving, just learning from you. Um, you have just so much that you know and excited to share with those who are ready to hear. Um, and I know for me, you know, lots of things stirring in my heart as I'm listening and taking notes. It was a special treat for me, love, to have you right there in the second row. <laughs> I'm always looking out, of course, at my students, and there's there's such a a bond that happens in these classes. Yeah. It's not just me. You know, giving, I'm receiving. Oh, absolutely! You couldn't from just the students do that in front of a camera with no. no no interaction. And and when I when I'm scanning the room, you know, I you you learn this over time, the body language, the openness, the mm -hmm. yes, we're receiving what you're teaching, and so I I'd, I'd scan the room and there'd be a little boop boop right as I looked over you because you're my <laughs> wife. Boop, boop. <laughs> it was just a special openness. It was just I know you love me. That's so true. And it was it was a real gift to have you there. Thank you, love. Uh, yeah. And it's a real I mean, always it's a team effort. You're always in prayer for these courses. Yes. And it's it's the grace of our sacrament that's really being shared. The good times, the bad, all that we've learned, the trials, the joys. Uh, that you are, you. Are, my point is, you are integral to every course I ever teach. But to have you right there makes it all the more real to me. So that was a special treat. Mm, thank you. Thank you, my love. Mm -hmm. And for those students out there, or potential students out there, if you want to dive in, you know the best way to do it. If you haven't already taken TOB one, it is time really to prayerfully consider taking a TOB1. Mm -hmm. We are offering it 
uh, a few times a year online now. That's the first. Uh, we don't have anything on the schedule right now for the next online offering. But in person, my colleague, Bill Dunahy, will be teaching TOB Level 1 November 15th to the 20th this fall, 2020, at St. Mary's Retreat Center in Elverson, PA. You fly to Philadelphia. We put you on a shuttle and uh, take you to this gorgeous old mansion in Elverson, PA, that's been turned into a retreat center. It's mm. And Bill, Bill has such a gift as a teacher. Uh, I've taken uh, most of his TOB1. I've taken his whole Way of Beauty course, and I've taken a lot of his TOB1. And I learn tremendously when I sit at Bill Donahue's feet and just see his heart open up in the way he shares it. So just throwing it out there, if you want to prayerfully consider coming to the TOB1, November 15th to 20th, there's a link in the show notes. You can learn more about that. A couple other things I want to share with you guys. We just launched recently a new podcast. A dear friend of the Institute named Elizabeth Busby, she's been coordinating our intercessory prayer efforts for a number of years, and she's hosting a new podcast that we're offering under the Institute umbrella called Discerning Marriage. For anyone out there interested in wisdom from others about discerning your vocation, I'd highly recommend you tune in. The first two episodes, uh, I was the guest, and I told our marriage story, Wendy, mm-hmm. and how we discerned we were called to marriage. And then there was another episode I did on on beauty and the role of beauty in the Christian life. Anyway, check that out. We'll have that in the show notes. And another little exciting tidbit, a new book of mine was just released uh, last Friday. It is called Word Made Flesh. It's the third in a series. There are three volumes of my series called Word Made Flesh, and it's a guide to the Sunday readings at Mass. Mm-hmm. So this is for cycle B, uh, which will start this Advent. So now there is cycle A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. All of them are available. Cycle B just released on Friday. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes to that new book. And it's a way of going into Mass on Sunday, really with your your heart open to receive the seed of the Word as Jesus says, it's a powerful nuptial image. Jesus says, I am the seed, right? The seed is the word, and I am the word. And in in the gospel reading, in the first reading, second reading of the psalm, the seed goes out. But so often we, we come in there and we're, we're not ready to receive that seed. Uh, so this book is, is aimed at helping you to become fertile soil to receive the seed all through the lens of of John Paul II's Theology of the Body. So check that out in the show notes as well. And thank you so much for all that you put into creating those books, all the oh, it's my, prayer and my reflection joy. that you yeah. put into that, that benefits us. Thank you for sharing Absolutely. it with us. I love breaking open the, the scriptures, and I've learned how to do that, especially through John Paul II. Mm-hmm. And I, I love to share it. So why don't we go to our first question? First question is from Daniel. Daniel says, Dear Christopher and Wendy, I thank you wholeheartedly. I started listening to the podcast to learn more about Theology of the Body for my ministry, but the Lord was waiting for me there mainly to help me personally and heal my wounds. I'm a missionary priest. I have 11 brothers and sisters, now all of us in their 20s and 30s. I know we are the fruit of my parents' daily challenge to discover and accept God's will, needing His grace day by day anew. I have some reservations about the expression, natural family planning. 
not about its real meaning, but isn't it somehow confusing? Don't you see a contrast between Christian spouses discerning continuously God's will for their family and the way most people in the world understand, quote, family planning? Did John Paul II use this expression? What do you think about it? Wow. Yeah, I, I appreciate his uh, perspective here. And, and am I hearing correctly? He's he's a priest? He's a priest. So this is Father Daniel. Yes. Thank you, Father Daniel, for your, your question. I, I understand the concern. When the culture talks about family planning, uh, it's really a euphemism, right? The way the, the culture uses the term, it, and it's a euphemism for sterilization, for contraception, for abortion. And, you know, we, we, the culture loves to use uh, positive-sounding words to mask horrific realities, uh, like freedom, choice, love. We use all these good words. The culture uses all these good words, and behind these words are often horrific realities. So it sounds to me, Wendy, I want to hear your perspective here, but it sounds to me like he's feeling that and saying, should the church be using that phrase? And we tack on the word natural family planning, but is that the right way to express it? Uh, did John Paul II use that term? He spoke of periodic abstinence. He spoke of understanding the, the natural rhythms of a woman's cycle. I can't say, as I'm looking through my own you know, mental picture of the catalog of John Paul II's teaching, I can't say for certain that I ever read somewhere where he used the phrase natural family planning. I am seeing right away periodic abstinence, respecting the, the rhythms of the cycle, phrases like that. Uh, but did he use natural family planning? I can't say for sure. He may have, he may not have. Um, but I think the point is well taken, Father Daniel. There's no, no need to use that term. Um, but also, we can redeem that term. And and even though the culture uses it as a euphemism, family planning, and it kind of conjures up the whole secular approach, we can reclaim that, that word, and I think we should. Uh, just like we should claim the word sex, we should reclaim it. We should reclaim the word freedom. We should reclaim the word choice. Uh, we should reclaim all these words that the culture uses as a, as a mask for evil, and we should show the true, the good, and the beautiful behind these words and what they really mean. What Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts, love? Mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate Father Daniel sharing just a little bit about his own family background mm -hmm. and the sense that he has that what his parents um, did in um, generously having 12 children um, is sort of not reducible to the expression natural family planning. There's something, um, a deep, deep, um, commitment to the vows of their marriage, mm -hmm. to their sense of um, responsibility for each life, their sense of just willingness to live very differently from the culture, and maybe that kind of to make it seem like, oh well, we just we just do what the culture does, but just a little slightly different right, approach right. or something can feel you know just not accurate, and I think. That is a good point to just call all of us to consider what has formed our thinking about how we should plan our families, not just the means to the end of, of spacing births, 
but the reason behind it yes. and the the culture of family of um of living the marriage vows that um is really offered to us in that and I know in a recent episode we were talking about the new ethos. Yeah. And I think maybe there is a lack of kind of tapping into the new ethos by using such a familiar phrase as family planning. And that may be really just a, a thing that by asking that question, you're kind of opening all of our podcast listeners to consider that, you know, what is the the ethos of truly living the vows of recognizing that God has placed this possibility of new life coming from our union in the context of our marriage, of our sacrament, and that kind of awe and wonder that we would have towards his incredible gift, and just having a very, very different heart toward it all yes. than um, kind of a resentfulness that is in our culture about yeah. our the way we've been designed by God. Yeah, there, there's room here, just to affirm his point, there's room here for an evolution of language. You know, it used to be that that in Catholic circles back in the day, they talk about the rhythm method. Mm -hmm. And then it was kind of late 60s, early 70s, if I got my history right here, where the term natural family planning came mm -hmm. to be used. And it seems to me, as I read what's going on these days, there's a, an evolution towards the term fertility awareness. Mm -hmm. And uh, this, the history of that change of language is, is interesting. I think the term natural family planning came about in some measure to make a distinction between artificial birth control. But I really don't like that because it's it's not the right distinction. The, the reason, quote, artificial birth control is immoral is not because it's artificial. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if that were the case, it, it would be <laughs> immoral to use, uh, you know, anything artificial, something that we make. Uh, it's, it's not because it's artificial, it's because it's contraceptive. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? It means you're engaging in the act that is meant for conception, but you're doing something else to render it sterile. And you can do that with all kinds of artificial devices, hormones, uh, but you can also do it just through what they call coitus interruptus, right? And in the Bible, Onan spilled his seed on the ground. Uh, he didn't do anything quote, he wasn't using anything, quote, artificial, uh, but he was behaving in a contraceptive way. And the thing that makes natural family planning, if we're going to use that term, uh, acceptable is not that it's natural versus artificial. Rather, it's not contraceptive. A couple who properly understands their fertility and honors the fact they recognize, wow, if we came together tonight, you could conceive and we're in a situation where you shouldn't conceive because finances or health or any number of just reasons, we're going to abstain out of respect for the meaning and dignity and beauty and goodness of the way God made us. That is not a contraceptive act, right? You To, in, to engage in a contraceptive act, you have to engage in the act that's meant for conception and do something else to prevent it. So here's another way to look at it. We are, we are called in married life to be procreative. You might have a good reason to be non-procreative, and that means refraining from the procreative act, but we should never be anti-procreative, and that would mean joining in the act that's meant for procreation, but doing something against it, 
we are called to be procreative. There are times where it's okay to be non-procreative, but we should never be anti-procreative. Mm -hmm. That's the point. Mm -hmm. And let's find a language, whether it's, it's natural family planning or fertility awareness, or maybe we come up with a new way of talking about this. There's mm -hmm. a, a room for the evolution of language here. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Father Daniel brings up a, a worthy point about that. Thanks, Father Daniel. Our next question is from Karen. She says, I'm a 40-year-old single woman who wished to have been married, but it seems that time may be past. I've come to acceptance of this and look forward to what God may have in store for me for the rest of my life, even if it may lead to marriage. My question is, my heart has always gone out to foster children, and I have this intense desire to give them a loving home. This comes up from time to time, but I hesitate. As I understand, they may even more desperately need a male role model in their lives, and I wouldn't have that. What are your thoughts on a single woman fostering and perhaps adopting children? Would this even be a wise thing to do? Wow, Karen. I hear your heart. I feel your love for these children. And I hear also in your question a deep respect for God's plan for the family. And, and all of those are noble and honorable and reflect beautifully on your heart and your disposition. Uh, I think a, th a few things to consider here. Number, number one, Karen, I wouldn't rule out that uh, the Lord may still have a husband out there for you. Uh, you said you were in your 40s now and thinking you might be past the possibility of finding a husband, but I wouldn't rule that out. I, I know of many people in their 40s and their 50s, even in their 60s and older, <laughs> Uh, who who get married, find someone and fall in love, and they look back at their lives and they say, wow, Lord, now I see what you were doing. So I would not discount that. Um, and I would use the word ideally. Ideally, a child needs the love of a mother and a father. That's God's plan. That's what would be most conducive to that child's well-being. But there are several other levels of this is better than that. Yeah, so with reverence and respect for God's plan, which is clearly in your heart, Karen, that's evident. You're not trying to rebel against God's plan, but you also have a heart for these children who could very much benefit from the stability of your love. And there is nothing inherently wrong with that. Uh, in fact, there's so much that's inherently right with that. Given the circumstances of these children and what they go through in foster care, I'm sure living with you and your steady, tender, motherly love could be a, a great gift and a great blessing in a child's life. How about, how about you, Wendy? What are your thoughts? I, I find it, you know, an important question. I'm so glad Karen sent it to us, and I'm sure there are many people who have asked this question, and there's something so beautiful even about the hesitation. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, and I, I cannot say that I'm an authority on the topic, but I, I, we all know that throughout history, um, children in need of parents have been raised in many different settings. And certainly sometimes a single aunt could take right. children, often grandmothers do, uh, even an uncle or grandfather. Yeah, you know? we've been talking recently about 
our will and mm -hmm. if we were to be you know killed in an accident or something to whom would we give our children and yeah you're it's a good point there are all kinds of circumstances that that may not be the ideal but are are necessary and helpful and certainly in my own life as our listeners may know that i lost my father when i was uh, almost eight years old so had a big chunk of my life raised by a single mother all of that is part of our our world in which we live and doesn't need to be um you know kind of called out as somehow right unacceptable god we all need more than we receive from our families that's the truth and yep. we all need god um so i i think obviously it's something to be done with discernment maybe even sort of conversation with the people closest to you mm -hmm. um because it, it, we you will probably need the help of others you know as a single parent and so that sense of just not kind of going out on your own and doing something but really um, having a certain amount of community support for that um, for that child coming into your life would be wise. But certainly no one should just say, you know, oh yeah, that's the right thing to do. It does take consideration and prayer, but it, I don't think it should be seen as a wrong thing. And if you were to discern, Karen, that you were called to adopt a child, there are ways to look for uh, steady male role models in a person's life. My uncle Sean, for years and years, uh, was part of the Big Brothers program mm -hmm. in St. Louis. And there's, I wish I could remember his name, his, who he called his little brother. Uh, but he became a part of his life and was a tremendous, tremendous influence in this mm -hmm. young boy and then young man and now adult man's life. Uh, don't discount the possibilities of that. So I, I just want to affirm your your motherly desire and encourage you, as Wendy said, to to discern it with people close to you. Thank you, Karen, for that question. I, I hope we've offered you some helpful food for thought. Our next question is from Roberta. Hey, Roberta. Roberta says, hello, Christopher and Wendy. I want to know your opinion about asking the Holy Spirit for signs. And when I say signs, I mean like, if today I see a guy with a blue shirt holding a cheesecake, <laughs> you're telling me he's my soulmate. <laughs> okay, I exaggerate, but I guess you get it. <laughs> I like her sense of humor. Yes. I like it. Uh, in the Old Testament, there are examples of God using signs. Sometimes he says what the sign will be. Sometimes a specific sign is requested from him. Can I ask or expect God to communicate to me this way? Let's just start with this question. Does God communicate to us through signs? Absolutely he does. As I say so often to my students, God speaks to us in sign language. Mm. That's his language. We have to learn how to read those signs. So absolutely, I want to affirm God speaks to us through signs. That's his native language. Uh, we have to be also affirming that upholding that that is true. Uh, we also have to look at that scene in the gospel that's coming to my mind where people were demanding a sign, mm. and the Lord rebuked them for demanding a sign. And I read something just recently, a commentary on that uh, gospel reading, and I thought it was insightful. The, the reason Christ rebuked them 
uh, I read, maybe not the only reason, but a reason Christ rebuked them, was because the sign, the greatest sign that God has ever given us was standing right in front of them, and they didn't recognize it. Yes. The greatest sign is Jesus Christ. The greatest sign is the Word made flesh. And maybe, Roberta, maybe there are signs that the Lord has already put right in front of you that He wants to open your eyes to. And maybe, I have no idea, I'm not, I'm not trying to read your heart here or anything, I'm just holding out possibilities for your own discernment. Certainly the Lord speaks to you through signs, but my, my question to hold out to you or to invite you to press into a little bit is, are you demanding a sign in a kind of graspy way that might indicate a certain inability to recognize the signs that the Lord has already put in your life? Uh, you know, I know in my own experience, when I'm demanding a sign, it's usually because I don't like the signs that he's given me. I don't, I don't like the message they're sending. So I'm like, that can't be right. Give me another sign. Uh, so all of that for your discernment, Roberta, this is not some kind of accusation or any such thing, but an invitation for you to just pray, Lord, teach me how to read your sign language. He's speaking to us all the time in, in sign language, if you will, and we need to learn how to read those signs. And accept those signs, even when they say things that we may find difficult to receive. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts, love? I also think that some of the kind of humorous way that Roberta put that kind of gets at different people's personalities and sort of their unique relationship with the Holy Spirit. Yes. And, you know, there may be some people who it increases their trust and their sense of the closeness of the Lord by recognizing His voice in different happenings of their day or in their life. There could be those who see too many things as signs and are kind of missing important things in their life because they're maybe distracted by recognizing, quote, signs all the time. So there is room for a lot of different expressions in our in our lives and our relating with the Lord. Um, I think I'm, I am a little cautious about sometimes I've seen people who kind of believed something was a sign and it maybe led them not to, as you said, recognize the other things that are Mm -hmm. pointing to what God is really saying to them in their life because it kind of clung to, oh, but at the end of my novena, there was that rose and that meant this to me. That meant right, God right. said this. And, you know, sometimes we just hold on to things a little too tightly. And the right. Lord might just ask us to kind of surrender something so that we can be truly, truly open to Him and not to our own kind of imagined or, uh, you know, whatever fantasy world yes, of, of yes. God in our lives. So there's a balance to be found there, and there's some joy to be found in being yourself and trusting that God knows you and loves you. We're all on a journey. He may include some amazing signs in our journeys, and we can treasure them. We can trust Him if there are no signs, that He's always faithful and working in each one of our lives. Yeah, I'm reminded of a time in my life when I had a real question of discernment about the ministry and bringing some new staff on to help me. 
and I really prayed into it under the guidance of my spiritual director. I thought there were signs that this was the right path to go, and and eventually, so I went down the certain path, and then eventually things crumbled in a really devastating way. And I had to work through a lot of, Lord, you duped me. What the heck was that? I mm. thought I really saw these signs. I thought I was really following you. It was really, really painful. So I'm just sharing that story to say I am, I am experienced in this difficulty of trying to read the Lord's signs. And maybe I had, you know, this is the mystery of it. Maybe I had read those signs correctly, and maybe the devastation that followed was part of a lesson the Lord wanted to teach me, but it's still unresolved in my heart. And there are some things that I think will only be resolved on the other side when we see the Lord face to face and we carry these questions, we carry these wounds, we carry these uh, just difficult trials and struggles uh, in discerning the Lord's will. It's not always clear. I can also say uh, over time, as I've grown in my walk with the Lord, that I have come to recognize the way He speaks to my heart. It's not always crystal clear, although sometimes it is crystal clear. It's as clear as the Lord saying, like walking on the water, do not be afraid, it is I. Like sometimes it's really, really clear, it is I. I'm speaking to your heart. Uh, but that's tricky business. Maybe, Wendy, we could just wrap up here by by praying for Roberta and for all our listeners that we would learn how to, to read those signs, you know, and, and to recognize that you brought up a very good point. I just want to affirm that he speaks such an individual language to our hearts. Uh, the way I hear the Lord is not necessarily going to be the way other people hear the Lord, because uh, our hearts are so unique. We're unrepeatable. There's, and I love this line from JP2. He says, every person has a unique, unrepeatable relationship with the Lord. That means the way he speaks to your heart, Wendy, is going to be different than the way he speaks to my heart. And, and everyone can say that. There are overlaps. There's things we can learn from one another. But uh, Roberta, the Lord knows the language of your heart. And I always encourage people, get in touch. The more you get in touch with the language of your own heart, the art that speaks to you, the, the things in God's creation that speak to you, you, you know, your favorite vacations place, your favorite tree, your favorite flower, your favorite place to go, uh, your favorite song, your favorite movies, your favorite uh, poems, your favorite novels, stories, TV shows. I mean, the way, the language of your heart you find in the beauty of nature and in the, and in the, the attractiveness of art, the art that speaks to your heart, those are, are great areas to go in your own heart to find where the Lord will speak to you, because He speaks your language. Uh, this was one of the great keys that my own spiritual director gave me years ago that really opened up a whole new world for me in, in understanding how the Lord speaks through signs that we can readily recognize in our hearts. So why don't we pray? Mm -hmm. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we lift up Roberta to you right now, and all our listeners, we ask for a new clarity in reading your sign language. We ask for the, the docility of children 
that we would not demand signs or grasp at signs or cling to signs in unhealthy ways, but rather we ask for the grace to get in touch with the deep language of our hearts where you speak to us, where you indicate your presence, where sometimes you sing to us, sometimes you show up in the silliest of ways through a, a laughing child or through a breeze through a tree or through a, a rainbow in the sky or a song we hear on the radio or a memory of a certain scene from a movie. These are all little ways that you can speak to our hearts. And we ask, Lord, for clarity in hearing your voice, in discerning your sign language, that we could know you and follow you. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Roberta, you are a gift. Everyone listening, you are a gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.